Sure, we can take on the whole world. Really strong support. Let me play my part. Check two, hey. Like, is that real? Did that happen? Like, the structure of your brain actually changes. And do you still feel that every day? And then it got time for guitars. Eating disorder, like, I didn't want to die. Tendencies. But I didn't want to live. Helpless little girl. You gotta go in the hospital. You feel powerless. The body has a fear reaction. The opportunity to empower. No one can take away my power. I won't take myself out. Artists that are true like that, those are the ones that tend to create change. Everyone knows who I am. I'm Teresa. I run the Kelly Nicole Foundation and I'm proud to support Unchained at Last, which I discovered a few years ago, right after we started our organization and said, you know, someday when we've got a little extra money, I'd like to get in touch with them. And now finally it, it happened that I sent you guys a donation. And then coincidentally, you'd think this was all planned out. You guys had Minnesota on your minds anyway. Um, at the time that I was like, okay, I want to reach out to them. And we had our honeymoon on the Virgin Islands, USVI. And then I read that you guys just had some progress there. So it just feels like it's all like, do you believe in coincidences and all that stuff? So I'm excited to introduce you guys to the world and educate some people and also share like what I'm hearing from the general public on just the lack of knowledge about how serious this topic is. Um, and then the other extreme is like people who can't believe that it's already not illegal, right? That like, wait, kids get married, 16 year olds, 12 year olds, like in the US? Do you mean like in the third world somewhere? No, we mean like, right here, like California, right? Like anywhere. So yeah, if you guys want to go around the circle and introduce yourselves and then um, the time is yours, however you want to use it. My name is Emily Steiner and I'm the Policy and Advocacy Associate at Unchained at Last. And I'm Freddy Reese. I'm the founder and executive director of Unchained at Last and so grateful to you, Teresa, for not only having this conversation, but also your support for Unchained. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jane Keller. I am Unchained at Last's advocacy intern. Good deal. Cool. All right. Um, so why don't I start with you? Um, being the leader, what made you start this organization? I founded Unchained out of my own traumatic experience. I am a forced marriage survivor and managed to escape with my two daughters, but paid a pretty steep price. My family shunned me. They still consider me dead had to rebuild my life from scratch and therefore decided to found an organization to help others in the United States to escape forced marriages. And because more and more girls under 18 were reaching out to us and Unchained to ask for help, we realized that the United States also has a serious child marriage problem, but the services that we provide to adults are for the most part we cannot provide to children because of the way the laws are written. Mm. And therefore, we decided to take on this additional small project of just ending child marriage in the United States. No big deal. Side hustle for you there. Little side hustle. I mean, you know, we're, we're a big team. There are five of us. So sure, we can take on the whole world. That's so how big Unchained at last is five people? Five of us plus interns. Jane yes. is, is one of our interns. Yes. And they're all as fabulous as Jane. Obviously, Jane's the most fabulous. <laughs> wow, that's a powerful story. So how did you get involved? 
Well, um, I'm a, a lawyer and I studied human rights law and women's issues and women's rights issues and I knew um, transitioning into my next job that I wanted to work for an organization that focused on girls and women's rights and I came across Unchained in this position and really is the perfect fit working state by state and territory by territory trying to convince legislators and educate the public about this issue. I was wondering about that. Sometimes it seems like, oh, would it be easier if we could just go federal and just go across the map but at the same time? In the U.S., the way things are, you know, state by state, maybe that's a way to build up momentum and have a micro strategy and the states will have a domino effect and go one by one. Whereas if you had to go all or nothing, maybe you'd never get there. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. and there are con complications at the constitutional level, whether or not the federal level could set marriage age law, so we are working on some federal issues, but the state laws, states currently control the marriage laws in each okay. individual state, and so um, right now we have to go state by state. Well, I mean, we don't have to. If we want, we could we could get into a states' rights debate and start another civil war, but we decided <laughs> yeah. strategically probably not ideal. Right? Interesting. Okay. So that's the, that's <laughs> the policy. another side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> civil war. Right. So the policy direction you've taken is very strategic. It's very much, you know, driven by what is possible and what is probable and where you can drive the most good. Right. And we follow which bills are have strong sponsors, which bills are likely to move, the composition of support in each state, the coalition and nonprofit support in each state. Um, so we talked a little bit earlier about our rankings of how we prioritize which states to work mm -hmm. on because we are a small but mighty organization. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes, Minnesota has actually, we were speaking about this earlier, Minnesota has actually just jumped up a good bit in our rankings because uh, the Judiciary Committee Chair in the Senate, Warren Limmer, has agreed to schedule a hearing for our bill, which is SF-1393 in the Senate, in case you were curious. Mm -hmm. And we're very excited for that hearing because it's the next step to getting the Senate bill out onto the onto the Senate floor where we're hoping that it will pass. Um, based on our numbers out of about 66 senators, I have confirmed yeses from 18 of them. And we're hoping that some more will follow suit, but they just haven't told us so. Um, so yes, and then from there it's onto the governor's desk because the House bill has already passed unanimously. So why would, we'll go, we'll go narrow and then we'll broaden it out to like, what are the issues with child marriage and forced marriage? Like why is this a big deal? But. I want to have the policy piece go up tonight on our YouTube so that people maybe will join the chain in or, or make some big impact. So I want to kind of keep that as the front end of this and then maybe open it up. Um, so how many votes? Like, what, what do we need? Where, where's the tipping point and everything? Well, you said you think we've got 18? Yes, I, can, I know we have 18. I you hope know. we have more than that. Okay. On the we judiciary, need more than that, but yes. the bill's a pass. <laughs> we need more yeah. than that. <laughs> on the Judiciary Committee, I believe we need five. Is five correct? Um, and we have three confirmed. And in the House, well, I think it's half of 66 plus one or half of 67. Um, in the Senate. In the Senate, forgive me. So that would be 34 votes. And Jane okay. has been working tirelessly calling each of these senators individually. So that is 18 yes. from one person's effort. Um, and you. so hopefully wow. one Amazing. of the parts of us being here today and prior to the chain and tomorrow is we're meeting with legislators that we haven't heard from to try to get a, 
bigger number on those yeses and get more support even before we have the Senate Judiciary hearing. And, and our message to senators is if you want Jane off your phones, <laughs> just say yes. Just yes. say yes. To ending well, child marriage. Ending child marriage. Child Some marriage. of their poor staffers would love to have to to not have to take my calls anymore and they hate having to tell me that they have no news but their bosses just aren't helping them out there. Is this, <laughs> is this because it's low on their radar or is it because people have some weird reason they don't want to support it but they don't want to be out there with a no hanging out next to their name? Like what are we thinking is behind some of this hesitance? Well, the kind of hesitance that we've had across the United States and I, I can't speak specifically for the senators in, uh, in Minnesota um, I don't know that any of them have given a reason that they're adamantly opposed no. to the bill. In fact, I have, have any said they I've are absolutely people, no? I've had people tell me that they are unwaveringly opposed, but no one has told me why they are unwaveringly opposed. Your convictions are so strong you can't articulate them to, <laughs> to the public that you serve. Yeah. So of you, the people, by the people. Is it attached to anything, any lightning rod issue? Like, did you attach it to gun control? Did yeah. you attach it to abortion? There's nothing crazy that... No, no, we, no. Went, we, went, we went very safe. Uh, no, it's not attached to any other issue. But I, we can guess based on what we've heard from legislators in other states. And it, often it comes down to a lack of understanding about the issue. Okay. And so often what we get is legislators who assume that the religious community is going to oppose this and they're going to offend their religious constituents. Actually, we've had really strong support for this legislation across the U.S. from almost every religious community. In fact, only two religious communities have come out against the bill across the U.S., and both of those are very insular uh, religious communities that are limited, that are uh, only in uh, spe specific geographic locations okay. that I don't think are in any way relevant to Minnesota. If you think about it, modern religions tend to view marriage as an important almost, or not almost, a lot of them viewed as a holy union between two willing partners. Mm -hmm. That does not describe child marriage. First of all, important, 70 to 80 percent of marriage before 18's and before 18 ends in divorce. Really? So that just makes a mockery of the institution of marriage. Anyone who believes in the sanctity of marriage necessarily does not believe in child marriage with a 70 to 80 percent divorce rate. And then this whole notion of two willing partners. Well, one of the gravest dangers of child marriage is that it's so easily forced because children, even at age 16 or age 17, simply do not have the rights of adulthood. You need to turn 18 before you get the rights of adulthood in any U.S. state. And we can talk more about this, but what that means, and we see this again and again, is that a child can very easily be forced into a marriage or, and or forced to stay in a marriage. And mm -hmm. so the, the whole notion that there are religious communities that oppose ending child marriage, it's just not true, but legislators often assume that. Often, too, they assume there is some correlation to abortion, which there isn't. We're talking about mm. we're talking about child marriage. We're talking about a legal process of marriage. It's completely unrelated to abortion, which is a medical procedure. And the interesting thing about that is we get legislators on both sides of the aisle worried about the connection to abortion with some thinking, oh, it's going to increase abortion rates, and some thinking, oh, no, it's going to undermine reproductive rights. And in both of those, really? in both of those, it's com just completely absurd. There's there is no correlation. In fact, the U.S. Supreme Court has established that minor marriage is different from a decision like uh, minor abortion because minor abortion is time sensitive in a way that minor marriage is not. So yeah, you don't you don't have much more than a few months to make that decision, right? Whereas marriage isn't going anywhere. If you you know if there's two people who are younger and they're in love, why not wait till you're 18? Exactly. Get and your that, life established. And I don't know, easy for me to say, how do these situations come about? Like, why is this even happening? 
for the most part, what we have seen, there's very little data on child marriage in the United States. So we, what we have mostly when we talk about this, we do have some data, which we'll talk about. But when it comes to why this is happening, it's purely anecdotal. What we know from what we've seen is that when a child in the U.S. is forced to marry, the perpetrators are almost always the parents. It's not strangers grabbing a girl off the street and forcing her to marry. It's usually her own parents. And I say her because we do know from the data that we at Unchained at last compiled that almost every child who marries in the U.S. is a girl married to an adult man. That's just the way it works. Mm -hmm. And the reasons that parents do this to their daughters varies. But again, anecdotally, we have seen some... Uh, some of the main reasons, often it has to do with a pregnancy. A girl gets pregnant and there are parents who think that's very shameful or are worried that the nice guy who raped their daughter is going to go to prison. And so they use marriage as a way to cover up a rape or to get rid of what they consider a shameful situation. Their daughter got pregnant out of wedlock. We have seen parents, unfortunately, use marriage as a form of conversion therapy. Their child comes out as LGBTQ, and parents say, oh, <laughs> you're not gay, you're not transgender, I'll prove that to you, and just marry off the child. Wow. And the kid isn't, they're a child, they don't have a job, a career, an education. What agency do they have to stick up for themselves? Exactly. Wow. Uh, immigration is another one that we see a lot where there is right now Emily was talking about some of the work we're doing at the federal level. One of the things we're trying to change is right now there's no minimum age to petition for a foreign spouse or fiancé or to be the beneficiary of a spousal or fiancé visa. And so we see a lot of human trafficking happening under the guise of marriage where girls are being trafficked for the U.S. citizenship, forced to marry adult men overseas, and then petition for their new husband who gets a visa to come to the United States, a path to citizenship. And we see girls, really young girls, also being brought into the United States. And it's they're not being trafficked, so to speak, because they are someone's bride. Mm-hmm. And the sad thing about that, or the terrifying thing, is that in most U.S. states, marriage is an exception under the statutory rape laws. So these lucky guys get a child that they are legally allowed to rape. Yeah. yeah. And touching on the parental consent, is often parental coercion aspect that we talked about earlier. There was a study done about the federal immigration uh, child marriage loophole that showed that parents were petitioning for children as young as one years old. For Wait, a, what? Yes, as young as one year old. And so, um, obviously, one year old is not consenting to. What judge? Sorry, I'm cutting up. What judge anywhere is saying that's okay? Well, thankfully, no consular offices approved any of those applications for one-year-olds. I think that does just show that parents are, you know, willingly signing up their children as young as one-year-old to be entered into a marriage for this immigration benefit. Like a different twist on an anchor baby? Um, kind of, it keeps them here. Or, or it can be used to, you know... It could be of value to an adult abroad who, you know, is looking for a path to a visa. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's well, My wife lives here and her teeth are about to grow in, so I have to get back to the United States. <laughs> right. That's, I mean, we joke about it, but that I didn't even know that people were using it as a, as a game or as a strategy or anything like that. I think a lot of people's impression is, you know, okay, in Minnesota you, you have to be 16, but, you know, a 16-year-old in love with their 18-year-old boyfriend it's their life, big deal. I don't think people realize this is happening at all. Well, so let's talk about that. You mm-hmm. think 16, and we hear that so much from legislators, 16, 17, they're almost 18. What's the big deal? Let them live with their decisions. 
all the time. Yeah. So let me tell all these legislators what they need to know, which is almost 18 is vastly different from 18. Mm. And here's why. You do not become an adult when you are almost 18. You become an adult when you're 18. If you're not an adult, let's take right here in Minnesota. If your parents are planning a wedding for you and you don't want to get married, if you're 18, you can open the front door and you can leave and you can find someplace else to go. Probably you, a shelter or a friend's shelter, house, anywhere exactly. you can get to. Anywhere safe that you can go. Yeah. If you're 17, you open the front door and you leave. Even if you're turning 18 tomorrow, you know what you are? You are a runaway. The police will drag you back home against your will. And uh, in a lot of states, you can actually be charged with a status offense for leaving home before you're 18. So being a runaway teenager is a crime? In some states, correct. Misdemeanor? Uh, well, it's called, it's a status offense. So it's status something that offense. is illegal only because of your age. And so, um, and I'm not sure exactly what the punishment would be. I imagine it would vary state by state. Okay. And in, um, and in Minnesota, by the way, no, is this, is this specifically for a Minnesota audience or it's not? Worldwide, amplified. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Worldwide, <laughs> amplified. Okay. We're here in Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> use it as an example. <laughs> yes, we still can use Minnesota as an example. Yeah, please, any place. Yeah. Um, so, but I, just to speak more generally about the United States. So, yes, in many states, a child can be charged with a status offense for leaving home before 18. That's to escape from parents planning a wedding from them or to es- for them or to escape from an abusive spouse. So, I imagine a situation where your spouse is abusive, but if you leave, you're considered a runaway, and the police will take you back to your abusive spouse. That's mm. the situation we're putting girls in in the United States. Now, you talk about getting into a shelter. Oh, before I even talk about that, let's say, let's say somebody like that, a girl who's not 18, reaches out to Unchained at last. That's the kind of service that we provide to adults all the time is I'm trapped in a forced marriage. Can you help? Or my parents are planning a forced marriage for me. Can you help? And we help these people get away get to a domestic violence shelter, well, if we at Unchained at Last help somebody who's not yet 18 to leave home, we could be charged criminally. Lucky you've got a few lawyers. Well, we do have hundreds of lawyers, but we still but don't the, want to be charged. Yeah. We still don't want to go to prison. And the it's, law is the law. But it's evil to say that it, if you help a child in the same situation as an adult, um, you're going to be charged criminally for it, but then putting children in a situation where they're going to need that help and just have nowhere to go. And let's say these children find some way to escape from home without getting arrested or dragged back home and nobody ends up in prison. Well, that's great, but where are they going to go? Because domestic violence shelters across the United States won't take in children who are not yet 18, who are not accompanied by a parent. There are wow. all kinds of liability issues. Even in major cities, New York, Boston, Chicago, L.A., a kid has nowhere to run to? We have tried across the United States. We have identified so far four shelters in the entire United States that are sometimes willing to take in a 17-year-old. Holy smokes. And, um, and that's, you know, so these girls have, even if, again, managed to escape, have nowhere to go. And people say, well, they can go to youth shelter. Well, here's the thing with youth shelters. They are not... Um, confidential the way domestic violence shelters are. Youth Mm -hmm. shelters typically have to notify parents that their child is there and they typically keep children for approximately 21 days while they work on a reunification plan. So their whole goal is how soon can we get them back into the situation they ran from? Correct. The parents knock on the door and say, hey, you know, um, my daughter Mary Sue is in here and we know what's best for her and um, she's got a wedding coming up and she's got to pick an outfit and whatever the hell people are thinking and like, and they just turn her over? So I don't know that they would just turn her over, but they're not going to keep her there long term while she finds some, say, cells to go and, and figures out a way out of her forced marriage. 
about. That's not a safe place for somebody who on day 22, it would, if she is turned back over to her parents, is going to be forced into marriage, raped on her wedding night, pulled out of high school, the rest of her life destroyed. Yeah. And it gets worse. Because here's the other thing children across the United States typically cannot do before the age of 18. Enter a contract that's not considered voidable. So that means if they try to retain an attorney and enter into a retainer agreement, they are screwed. Attorneys will not take on children as clients typically because the retainer agreement is a worthless piece of paper. It's a voidable agreement. So we, avoidable contract. So we at Unchained, we get calls sometimes from girls who say, I called every attorney in my state to try to get me to help me out of this situation. Nobody will take me on as a client. That's assuming, by the way, children even have the money to pay an attorney. Which yeah, I'll just dip cheap. into my trust fund and get myself a legal team and I'll be safe. Well, do you want to touch on that legal aspect since we just got into your briar patch? Um, Is that changing? Can it change? What's your opinion as a lawyer? In terms of whether the contracts are... And how can we develop a new precedent? Like, how do we break through, I guess, is the question. I think we end trial marriage. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Like, really, it's an uh, issue of legal capacity, right? So I, I think our and a lot of the points we advocate for are to not create more complicated bureaucratic systems to address the various problems that come from the trapping children in marriage, but to end child marriage. Hmm. And, um, you know, some states have emancipation procedures or guardian ad litem procedures, but again, a child um, has that have to be available to the child. For example, in Minnesota, emancipation is technically available to a child, but there's no statute that outlines emancipation are the rights that you have once you're emancipated. And so it's mm. all done by case law. And it's really unclear what the rights would be. So I think the easiest solution to that is not addressing the, the problems, but just ending ending child marriage. Well, it's bizarre you said that. I just, it occurred to me, I used to joke with Kel after we got marriage equality. I was like, hey, they, you know, we got married. And I said, you know, they legalized gay marriage, but not gay divorce. So you're screwed now. Just like joking. But it's actually with kids. It's true, right? It sounds mm -hmm. like the marriage is legal. They cannot get divorced, and they, and no other contract but that marriage certificate that they ever sign is worth the paper that it's printed on. Right. That well, just doesn't well, sound like first-world living at all to me. Correct. And, and by, keep in mind, it's not just that they can't retain an attorney. They're also typically not allowed to bring a legal action in their own name before they turn 18, which means that they literally, in many states, cannot file for divorce. And this is unlike their spouses, who, again, the vast majority of children who are married are girls married to adult men who have these rights yeah, to access fine. attorneys and divorce or whatever sort of legal, legal resource they would like. So let's even pretend with the minority cases, let's pretend that there's one that's just rosy blue skies and, and they're both happy and for whatever reason it's an exception. Still, none of the property is hers. Nothing they own is, is, is hers, right? What happens when she turns 18? Suddenly all that retroactively now it's 50-50 or like this just seems really unbalanced to me well so here's the thing we do we do know that there are some children who marry willingly um and yeah maybe it's the rosy and the blue skies as you described which by the way is 20 percent <laughs> statistically <laughs> unlikely sure, but sure, sure. It, that sure that happens here's the other problem marriage before 18 even when it's the rosy you know, girl who wants to get married, she's marrying her boyfriend that she loves deeply and she's not being forced into it and doesn't want to get out of it. So the fact that she's not allowed to file for divorce never becomes a problem for her. Mm -hmm. That's that's best case scenario, which, by the way, think about how that's, that that's best case scenario. We already have a problem. But in any case, still, marriage before 18 has such devastating lifelong repercussions for girls and women here in the United States 
that the U.S. State Department, in fact, calls marriage before 18 a human rights abuse. Mm. So, and it's, this is not only in a forced marriage. This is just from marrying before the age of 18, or at or before 18, actually, for a lot of the studies. We know that that means that women and girls here in the United States are 50% more likely to drop out of high school, four times less likely to finish college, three times more likely to have five or more children, 31% more likely to end up living in poverty as an adult. And then because of the forfeited education and the poverty and the stress that come from child marriage, she also faces a 23% increased risk of heart attack, cancer, diabetes, stroke, and increased risk of almost every psychiatric disorder. Depression, anxiety. Correct. And then, as if all that is not bad enough, globally, we know also that women around the world who are married before 18 are three times more likely to be beaten by their spouse than women who marry at 21 or older. So almost every aspect of a girl or a woman's life here in the United States is destroyed by marriage before the age of 18, even in the best case. And as an aside, um, many of those statistics with regards to health and education and future economic prospects the statistics look a lot worse if a girl gets married while she's pregnant relative, relative to a pregnant woman who's a pregnant girl who stays single. Mm. So the argument that a pregnant girl is better off getting married is actually not just inaccurate, but even further from inaccurate, it's the opposite is true. Are there a lot of politicians like, oh, this will keep her off welfare? Yeah. Absolutely, and it's the exact opposite. Because and now you're, you're sentencing her to a lifetime of poverty. Exactly. It's, it, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's a life sentence in poverty. And as Jane was saying, especially if this girl is pregnant, marrying her off, you're not doing yourself or the state a favor. Mm. Um, because we know of all the harms that I just spoke about of marriage before 18, the, when a girl is pregnant and she marries before 18, that means she's also, um, what is it, 40% more likely now to have a second child within 24 months, she's less likely even than, uh, we already talked about how unlikely it is, how likely it is that she's gonna drop out of high school and never finish college, even worse if she was pregnant when she got married. And mm -hmm. so that's why, um, statistically speaking, studies have shown that a pregnant teenage girl who marries in the United States is actually more likely to end up suffering economic deprivation and instability than a pregnant teenage girl who doesn't marry. More dependence on the system, right? More stress on the taxpayers. And states are recognizing that. They're um, starting to get it. As of right now, I believe only six states still have pregnancy exceptions to their marriage laws. And within the past two years, four states have removed their exceptions and as recently as last summer. So states are getting the memo on that one, and some states even specify that pregnancy is not a good enough reason for a judge to approve a marriage involving a child. That's a good segue into like where we stand as a country right now, and um, some of your short-term goals, how you prioritize states and things like that. Um, so can you kind of give us a lay of the land right now for what's legal where? <laughs> It's legal everywhere, almost. So when we first started doing this at Unchained at Last in 2015, child marriage was legal in every single U.S. state, every territory, and at the federal level. And as we sit here today, we are very pleased to tell you that thanks to our advocacy and our relentless calling and our refusal to give up, we have helped to end child marriage so far in New Jersey and Delaware and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Yeah. We have heard rumors that American Samoa followed our lead and ended child marriage, but we cannot reach anybody to confirm or deny this. <laughs> if, only the, if only Minneapolis can catch up to American Samoa on the human rights front. Right. That's scary. <laughs> right. 
And so what we like to say, we have uh, two down, only 48 to go. What Hillary Clinton says, actually. Hillary Clinton did <laughs> yes, say that Hillary to Clinton us. did say that to me, yes. <laughs> oh, so, wow. Yeah. Um, How are there not more people helping you guys? I mean, you have volunteers. You have some, what, uh, lawyers, psychiatrists, people of that nature, psychotherapists. Janes. Janes. <laughs> some people like that. Um, yeah, people making hitting the phones, things like that. Um, how do you not have more people helping, and how can people who hear this right now step up and be a part of this movement? I, I urge everybody to go to unchainedatlast.org. And first of all, educate yourself on this issue. Find out what the law is in your state. Find out the minimum age, how many children were married recently in your state. We have all that data there. And of the states that study it. Of the states that study it. Because some, it's just black, right? You don't know. Right. Well, we do have census data for the states that, okay. for some reason, nobody ever bought them a laptop or set up their Excel spreadsheets so they find themselves unable to track their, uh, the children who are marrying in their state. <laughs> We should have a moment of silence for those poor states. But uh, we do have census data even for those states. So, you know, for a long time, nobody knew how often child marriage was happening at all in the United States. And we changed that when we did our, our groundbreaking research and found that between 2000 and 2010, an estimated 248,000 children were married in the U.S. Yep. They were as young as 12, and almost all of them were girls married to adult men. So we do have the breakdown by state, and I urge people to look at that. And we have also a list of actions that you can take. And they range from click here to send an email to a specific legislator in a specific state who's holding up a specific bill to join us at our next chain-in. That's the protest that we, the form of protest we invented, which we wear bridal gowns and chains to, to protest child marriage and forced marriage to uh, follow us on social media, to something as, as simple and basic as click here and make a donation. Every sure. dollar helps, every email helps, every retweet helps. I like to say, speaking of Hillary Clinton, <laughs> I like to say it takes a village to end child marriage. And sure. so step up and be a part of the village. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow, so we talked about um, how many people probably don't know this is happening. Um, I think when I first discovered your website, I was thinking, oh, this sounds like maybe some kind of a deep south kind of weird cultural problem. Florida. Not at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Florida. Blame no, it on Florida. <laughs> no, not at all, though, right? It's, it's everywhere. It's, in, it's on the coasts. It's not just flyover country. It's not, it's not just some weird... I mean, you said there's some religious concern with the, the politicians who are holding back from this current opportunity in, in Minnesota, but that's not the only reason it happens. Uh, no, I didn't say religion is the reason it happens. I think that there are legislators who assume that gotcha. this is a religious thing, but um, but the the support that we have gotten from the religious community has been strong. We've had the the Catholic conference in in various states has submitted memos of support, and we've had uh, memos of support from and testimony from Jewish, Muslim. Lutheran Interfaith. Bishop in May. <laughs> right, Lutheran wow. Bishop in Maine. Um, yeah, we've had, uh, you, you name it, as I said, other than these two very insular religious communities, we've had uh, really, really strong support from religious okay. leaders from many different faiths. So I, I think it's something that legislators assume. For example, when we first got to Delaware and Pennsylvania, where there's a strong bill that's advancing now, and we hope that it will pass any day now, legislators at first said, oh, we have, uh, we have a large Amish community here in our state, and the Amish, are, they're going to be really upset by this. And we said, no, no, they won't. They didn't believe us. So some of the legislators went and, and um, 
actually went in to speak to some of the elders in the Amish community. And this, is, this happened in two states. This happened in Delaware, and this happened in Pennsylvania. And the Amish leaders said, why are you assuming they were practicing child marriage? That's really offensive. Yeah, <laughs> right? Right. Don't and make in, stuff up. In Wisconsin as well, um, there are two Bright Line 18 bills pending in Wisconsin. That We have an advocate in the state who, on a volunteer basis, has been taking a lead on a lot of this. And she requested a memo to be done to, because legislators were getting the same, giving the same reason that the Amish and the Mennonite communities in Wisconsin, you know, they would be up in arms against this bill. And the hard data showed that child marriage did not happen in the Amish and Mennonite communities. It's so weird. So outsiders are making bizarre cultural assumptions and speaking for other people. So you're basically stomping a mi one minority in order to take rights away from a girl. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like, that's 0 for 2 in my book. <laughs> yes. And, and, so, and specifically with the Amish community, for example, what these legislators didn't realize is that the Amish communities... Uh, practice adult baptism. They're baptized generally between 18 and 21, and they're not allowed to marry before they're baptized. Yeah. So, but yeah, but these types, it's this lack of cultural understanding and this, and this just, uh, what I think really offensive um, stereotypes or assumptions about another culture, assuming, oh yes, they're practicing child marriage. But then the other really offensive assumption in that is because they're doing it, we shouldn't intervene and it's okay. We're talking about a human rights abuse. Yeah. We're talking about destroying girls' lives. We're talking about child rape. What part of that makes it okay if it's somebody else's cultural practice? Well, that's, that's the scary thing about cultural relativity. I was a history major, but I had you know, also a strong interest in anthropology. The reason I didn't stick with anthropology is this concept of cultural relativism, where it's, it's okay if these other people are doing it. And if we're being honest, we're four white women sitting here in a first world country, it's okay if it's happening to black kids in Africa, but it's not okay here in, in St. Paul or this or that. And that is the most, that's not the open-minded position, that is the most racist position you can take. It's okay because they don't look like me. Um, and I'm stepping a little bit outside of our, our conversation here, but I think that's why we let some things go on, is because it looks like it's somebody else. Let it be someone else's problem and call it their culture. Cultures are not all equal. Nazism was a culture, you know? My grand, I'm German. My grandparents ran from the, Nazi, the Nazis. Cultures are not all equal, and some are worth defending. So I think you guys are doing amazing work. Um, when someone gets a hold of you and says, I need help, where hap what happens? We provide comprehensive wraparound services, often life-saving services, legal, social, everything in between. And we never charge for any of our services. It's always free. So we start with coordinating escapes, planning escapes. Often when people reach out, they're unsafe and they need to actually to be rescued or help uh, planning an escape. Sometimes that's international. Sometimes parents take their child overseas to force them to marry in another country where they can't pick up the phone and call 911. And then help them get someplace safe. Again, domestic violence shelters is the most typical place where we help people get and, uh, and by the way, a lot of these services, again, just not possible if the survivor who reaches out is not yet 18, just mm. becomes impossible to help them. But then we provide free legal representation and uh, so that they can get divorced or get legal immigration status for those who are brought to the U.S. from another country where their family deliberately does not get them legal status so that they can hold a deportation over their head as a mm. threat. And uh, with divorce, child custody, 
Sometimes it's a legal name change under seal so that these, this is the only way these survivors can stay safe from their family who continues relentlessly to search for them, to retaliate against them for daring to leave. Almost so we, like a witness protection kind of thing. Correct. So yeah, we help them change their name under seal so that their family can't find them. They have to live their, the rest of their lives on, under a new identity. And then emotional support, uh, psychotherapy, career counseling, whatever help, emergency financial assistance, whatever it is that they need to not only get out of a bad situation, but to rebuild their lives and become emotionally and financially independent. Are there any success stories? You can tell, obviously, some of these people, like you said, have to stay anonymous, but to inspire people that these donations can make a difference. You can rearrange a life by unarranging a marriage, like it says on your website. Is there anything like that that you can share? I'm trying to think uh, of any story that I that I can share. I mean, we do have a lot of uh, stories on our website. Those are the ones who mm -hmm. they have agreed to share. Um, one of the stories I like to share, they don't always have a happy ending, to be honest. One of the stories that, that I like to share was our very first client. Her name was Jamie. And um, sorry, I get a little emotional when I talk about Jamie, but... So we helped her to get out of a you know, really terrible situation. She was forced to marry at 19 and, and had two children and a uh, very abusive uh, marriage. And, um, and she finally had the guts to leave and come out as gay. And her family shunned her. She came from the same uh, religious background that I came from. So um, uh, she and I you know, became close. We helped her to, uh, to, to escape, to get divorced, to get custody of her children, and, and then unfortunately she was diagnosed with, uh, with breast cancer and she, um, and she ended up dying. But, uh, but she, was, she was our first client, and so seeing that we were able to actually help her, we were actually help, able to help her get out of her bad situation, to rebuild her life mm -hmm. with her two kids. Um, you know. It's tough, but at least she knew what freedom was before she was gone, you know? Um, yeah, that one hits home. Obviously, with Kel having passed from cancer, I can understand what it's like to try to process time and try to make sense of this person had so much, this person had so little, and can you find a, a glimmer of, of meaning or hope in a person's life? And I think you just have to, you know, you have to hold your head up and say, we changed a life. And it's not about the time, it's about their, their quality of experience. Um, so... What else do you want people to know? What are some of the other maybe misconceptions around this? Um, and what else can people do? Are you guys hiring? Are you growing? I can talk a little bit about our coalitions in each state. So um, because we're a small team, but also because we work within a vibrant human rights community and women's rights community in each state that we work in, um, I try to help form coalitions. So we have the Minnesota Coalition to End Child Marriage. And if you're a nonprofit or a DV group or a really passionate advocate, like I mentioned in Wisconsin, there's a singular advocate who, um, in addition to her day job, is advocating um, on behalf of ending child marriage in Wisconsin. And so if you're interested in, you know, finding out what the law is in your state and talking to legislators, if you have connections to nonprofits in your state, definitely reach out to us and specifically me as the policy and advocacy associate. We can definitely talk about ways to help move legislation forward. And we definitely have impacts with legislators in each state that we work in, but legislators are voted into office by their constituents. And so the most powerful voices are people who live in the states that we're trying to change the laws. So yep. I think, you know, educating yourself and your friends and getting involved is, is a great way to get started. So you guys were uh, a part of helping to write or advise on the bill that's here in Minnesota now? 
or did that come up independently or how did we get to this point where we've got some momentum here? So we were not involved in the writing of the bill, okay. and I assume we were the reason the bill was written in the first place, because we did start this, what's become a national movement, uh, because we've been able to introduce legislation in so many states, most of which have died, but we were able to pass legislation in, in two states now and in one territory. Uh, so more and more states are starting to do this, and then often legislators will reach out and say, I just introduced the bill, uh, you know, can you come help pass it? Which is, really? Uh, yes. And or I'm about to write a bill. I have an hour. Can you can you quickly write a bill? <laughs> Which is somehow legislators are always in a rush. In the in this case though, most of these bills, if they're Brightline 18 marriage age bills, they're very simple. You cross out whatever the exception is to 18, and you write 18. So right, because most states already said 18 as the marriage age. It's just that they have these horrific, yep. gaping, dangerous loopholes. Gotcha. Like to call them sinkholes, <laughs> uh, like the one in Minnesota and a lot of other states. So all of a sudden, you know, 18 seems great, and then it's like, except if, and often it's with parental consent, which we know is often parental coercion or judicial approval, which does not protect children at all because a child who's being forced to marry is also forced to lie to the judge about it. So, wow. um, so you know, not. So with, with these gaping loopholes in many uh, states, the marriage age is as young as zero. And so, um, yeah. Next through those sections. Exactly. <laughs> it, it really, yeah. you can write this bill in less than an hour. Right. <laughs> right. The hardest part is like, you know, figuring out how to do cross strike through on a PDF, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Then> Google that. <laughs> oh, that's, so, oh, go ahead, please. That's sort of how the Virgin Islands bill happened. Um, I think maybe in October, we got a phone call from a legislator in their Senate, and luckily they have a unicameral house, so it passed very quickly, saying that he had introduced a bill and he wanted our help advocating for it. And the turnaround time on that was just a couple months. Wow. Yeah. And with the Virgin Islands, too, I think it was right when I first joined Unchained at last. So I took a took one for the team in my first week or two and went to St. Thomas. It was really rough. It's rough. It's it, rough. Yeah. Uh, it was that awful is probably the best way to describe that. You have to take the ferry out to St. John. It gets even worse because oh. it's really quiet. There's just like a few bars. It's mostly a it's preserved so bright. jungle. It's too much sun. The water is so, so much blue. sun, so much pretty water, <laughs> like too much pretty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was Cal's favorite place on earth. So when, when uh, like I said, I can't believe the coincidence of that was where we had our honeymoon. Um, and then she passed the following year. Uh, and then I discovered you guys have been building up the foundation, doing different things, you know, with the podcast and her album and making a documentary that people can see. It's called I Want You to Hear Me, the Kelly Nicole story. It's on our YouTube channel. Um, and then making the film for you guys, hopefully, to share and use. And I hope if there's people on the fence, you know, watch, watch the film. It's called This Is Where She Jumped. And it's about this concept of a, what's called a lover's leap, which I also didn't know existed. There's this town in Wisconsin called Maiden Rock. And she's a maiden because uh, uh, she jumped off a cliff uh, the night of her forced marriage. And she, it's, it's a Dakota legend. So the idea is that this happened around the year 1700. And the film, This Is Where She Jumped and Forced Marriage, is to let people know that this is not a, just a few isolated incidents and to drive the emotion of it. Obviously, we're a music-based nonprofit, so, you know, we care about how artists communicate and they communicate straight to the heart, you know. We need policy experts and lawyers and, and doctors and all these different people to, to run the stats, but then I believe we also need artists to go straight to the heart and say, you know, picture yourself in her position picture yourself at the top of that cliff and look over it. You can walk up there. I did. I took my drone. You can stand there and say, you tell me this doesn't hurt people and picture what she saw standing over the Mississippi River. So I hope that that's useful for you guys and, um, you know, that it, it packs a punch with some of the politicians who are on the fence and, and are having a hard time 
conceptualizing a moral question that seems so straightforward. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, a little bit of artistic stuff to share. Um, anything else that you guys want to share with the general public? We talked about how they can get involved. Anything else about what inspired you guys? Well, I, I do want to add that um, that the conversation that you and I had recently really inspired me. The idea that you're using music, and especially Kelly Nichols' music, to mm -hmm. uh, to drive home these important messages inspired me and, and us at Unchained That Last. And so we actually are now in the process of writing our own song. No and way! We already wrote the lyrics. It's called "The Girls You Have Destroyed." Wow! And there I, you go. Yes, and so I and I just asked my daughter's boyfriend to write the uh, the the music part of it, which neither of none of, none of the team can do. <laughs> do you guys need any other musicians? I know a couple. Well, we have to talk. Yes, yeah, yeah. Let's we talk. can use let's all the talk. help we can get. The anthem. We're calling it an anthem. It's an anthem, there right? It's and not that's just different a song. Than, that's different what, than what you're going to sing tomorrow. Correct. The one we're going to sing tomorrow was written by a group of girls in Zambia, and it's called "We Are Girls, Not Brides." And it's a very beautiful tune, but the lyrics are very simple. It's just a repetition, pretty much, of "We Are Girls, Not Brides." Mm -hmm. We know our rights. That type of thing. Yeah. Um, what we wrote is uh, is a lot more intense. A little scary. A little scary, Jane likes well, to say. It is. Somber. It is. Picture feeling like your life just ended and yet you're a teenage girl. No one should feel that way. You know, everyone should, again, it comes down to quality of life and, and does it matter to you um, what the human experience is on this earth. I, I believe we're here to care about each other and that that's the, our only purpose. So um, yeah, happy to be an inspiration. And the whole point of the foundation is that Kel's music makes a difference for people. So um, appreciate you guys being on the program Amplify the Sound of Survivors and um, if there's anything else you want to add um, the mic is yours otherwise I'll let you get back to your day and what am I in for tomorrow? <laughs> Are you wearing, wearing a bride? bridal gown? <laughs> that was my hard question <laughs> I haven't worn a dress since I was three I'd love to just go and support and dress like myself but still help okay. Could you wear all white? Yeah, I can buy some white clothes yeah. I, I generally am a little bit sloppy so I don't, wear, I don't have any white pro. shirts because it's got hot sauce on it within 10 minutes. So I'm yeah. like, I'm not doing it. But I can, yeah. I, I, you know, I'll come up with something for tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, don't buy something yeah. that's yeah. for that. But, um, yeah, it's quite, an experience. it's quite an experience in the bridal gown. But even without, we do have veils and ex other accessories. There you go. That we have chains. Well, the chains, the and tape. the tape on the mouth. Yeah. If you see the, uh, our documentary, I want you to hear me, the Kelly Nicole story, um, there's a mask that she made on, in Arts and Crafts Day uh, in uh, eating disorder treatment, which uh, was uh, the reason I put an explicit rating on the film and put a warning at the front of it was because of that image. Um, it was like a, a mask of a face, and, uh, but it had tape over the mouth and a, a bullet hole entering and leaving the head. And I just really wow. believe that's why our tagline is the courage inside amplified, because speaking and expressing yourself is the beginning of knowing your own power. So I'm, I saw that you guys do the tape over the mouth like you have on that sheet of paper in front of you. I was like, they get it. So awesome. Happy to help you guys out. And um, unchainedatlast.org is the website. Anything else you guys want to say or add? Otherwise, uh, I'll see you guys tomorrow at the state capitol. Thank you so much. Well, thank thank you. you. Get the music behind the mission. Hate Becoming by Kelly Nicole on iTunes and Spotify. If you guys haven't checked out the merch table, join the movement. Buy the album. Get your Kelly Nicole band merch and donate what you can at kellynicolefoundation.org. Courage is proud. Amplified!